Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey from the Library Love Fest podcast. Thanks for joining us again. And today we have another episode of Editors Unedited, and we're joined by a seasoned pro. Very glad to have her back, Lucia Macro, VP and Executive Editor at William Morrow. Hi, Lucia. Hi. All right, so I'm going to let her take it away. Okay, so we have um, Elena Dillon, who is the author of um, The Happiest Girl in the World and also Mercy House, but we're talking about Happiest Girl today, which is so exciting. So welcome um, to our Library Love Fest. <laughs> Thank you like, so much for having me. Yeah, these guys are like some of my favorite people. So I think you're, this is going to be great. Um, oh, yeah, librarians have been so good to me with Mercy yeah. House. And yeah, I'm so, I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, they're, they're awesome, right? Like yeah. I love, yeah, we can, we can just have like a 20 minutes on the libraries in general, but we're going to talk about the book, I promise. So I'm going to dig right in and I always like to start sort of at the beginning, um, which is, it sounds like an easy question, but, but it can get a little, you know, it can get a little personal, which is how did you come to this particular story? Um, just to let people who haven't read the book know, this is about a young woman who has like Olympic gymnastic dreams and which I always think is so fascinating because you watch these girls on television and you just think, wow, they're like these amazing athletes and they can fly, they can do anything, but to get there, it, it, it can be a little intense. So how did you, how did you, you know, how did you just come to this and, and then maybe a little bit about what you learned? Yeah. So um, like everybody else, I always clued in um, to gymnastics during the Olympics and maybe like kind of lost touch with the sport in between like every four years. Um, mm -hmm. But then, you know, I loved watching their little, like, the little biopics they put in front to tell them like, you know, uh, how they got there and the kind of obstacles that they overcame. Um, so I was just kind of in and out tuning into them um, until the Larry Nasser trials, I think, mm -hmm. when everyone was just kind of, um, we all, you know, were floored and, and aghast at uh, what they had been suffering um, in between all those four years where they were dazzling uh, the world. Um, I happened to be writing Mercy House at the time. So that was January, 2018. So um, I was, you know, which, which is a story about, um, about abuse within the Catholic church. So um, I had been immersed in that world. And so um, it, I, I paid attention um, to, and saw the parallels between kind of the Catholic church, the Me Too movement was roaring at the time. Um, so there were all these kind of overlapping uh, similarities of um, people in power holding um, women's bodies hostage and and their their careers and their success and their livelihoods hostage. So nuns couldn't speak out, you know, afraid that they would be excommunicated. Women in Hollywood um, felt that that they would um, be scorned 
um, from different roles in the future. And the gymnasts uh, were experiencing the same kind of withholding. Um, it, this was a little different because a lot of the gymnasts didn't even know that they were being abused and their parents didn't even know they were being abused. Um, but they all, they all felt that same kind of pressure to keep quiet if they wanted um, to, 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 to be successful um, because there's, you know, this, this committee who decides um, who is going to be part of the team. And um, so it's not completely merit-based, it's um, a selection process. So you wanna stay in their good favor. You wanna appear like you're um, part of the team. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that kind of struck me in January during the trial. And then right after that was the Winter Olympics. Right. Um, so it was also fresh on our memories. And so we were, I think, all kind of paying attention to these sports in a very different way and viewing these athletes in a kind of different way where they're these idealized superheroes, um, but these humans who are, are suffering and, um, and overcoming obstacles. And um, so I was listening to, a, to I think a, it was an NPR piece about the skiers and how every four years they're expected to go faster. And at some point, it's just completely dangerous and that that we should not be pushing these athletes to these limits. Um, so I just kind of like went back and was investigating and um, I'm like, like reconsidering all of the Olympics from the past that I had seen and, you know, looked at the, the Carrie Strug story back um, mm -hmm. way back when um, when Bella carried her and we kind of looked at him like this um, this hero carrying her after her injury to the podium to receive her medal when it turned out that you know he had pressured her to do it to do that run again even though she had been injured um, during the vault so um, yeah so that I, I was I, I just kind of reconsidered the subject and um, and I had wanted it to be a story about um, all the like everything that um, an Olympian has to face uh, going to the Olympics, but as I kind of dug deeper and deeper and deeper, um, I wanted to avoid the Nasser subject, but it, 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 you know, it's, it's unavoidable. Yeah. I was going to say it's unavoidable. I <laughs> there, mean, yeah, there's no there. way you could have dealt with it and not have a, a, a Larry Nasser character. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in there the were book. a few drafts where, where I was just kind of focusing on like all the family sacrifices and that of mm -hmm. course is all there, but um, it, it, it became to look intentional that I was avoiding it. And, mm -hmm. and that is, that just feels artificial. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that yeah. became a center. And do you feel, I think it's interesting because um, we were chatting before, you know, we started rolling the rolling tape and I had mentioned that the Super Bowl was last night. Um, do you feel that, um, you know, as, do you feel that, you know, we hold up, how can I put this? Like, do you feel that we hold up the men and the women to sort of different standards? Like, do you feel like that the women are held up to not just an athletic standard, but a standard of pretty? I feel like it's interesting, like the sports that we venerate as women's sports, like gymnastics and um, figure skating. And even lately, I feel like tennis where the women are so powerful and strong that do you feel like we, we might, do we feel like we hold them up to a different standard than the men? Or do you think that it's just like a ridiculously high standard for everybody? Yeah, I think there's certainly that aspect too, where you have to be, um, it, it's this weird balance of like desirability on the floor and like the, yeah. the prettiness of the dancing, um, which then becomes a little twisted because these athletes are only getting younger and younger and they're really just children. So, um, but, but yeah, that's certainly part of it. Like, I think, um, I mean, I think, I think 
females and males, there's a lot of pressure on your bodies because, you know, if you have to be in top condition to perform um, mm -hmm. optimally, but, but yeah, there is this kind of um, additional pressure of desirability and, and sexuality. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, overall, it, like we, we tend to ignore female sports over, <laughs> sports, but that is what makes gymnastics kind of distinct, right? Is because it's mm -hmm. like, one of the only sports that we actually pay more attention to the women. And so that just puts more pressure on female gymnasts because they then are, they, they want to excel. Like this is, this is the, the area where they actually get attention and get the respect they deserve. Wow, um, never, yeah, you're right. I never thought of that. Yeah. The stakes are high. Yeah, the stakes are really high. And, and you had mentioned before um, the whole, um, you know, part of the book, I mean, part of the book deals with this and um, you know, this, this sort of, uh, power struggle and but it's also really affects the families um of these athletes and it, it takes so much I just was wondering you know there's a, there's a strong mother-daughter relationship in in this book um but do you think that I mean one of the questions that I kept asking myself and I didn't come to an answer as I was reading the book is is it fair like in a way is it fair to have you know to expect an entire family in essence to be sacrificed for one member <laughs> so that that's, they can go and excel you that's know that's part of what drew me to the material to the material in the first place too because I was looking at all of the like the the Olympic the Olympians that we know and you know like Gabby Douglas who you know had to go move in with a different family to be closer to a coach mm -hmm. and like all of these sacrifices that um, that families make, um, I was, you know, wondering, cause like all the money that is dumped into training, like that's money that, you know, will not go to the other siblings now. And mm -hmm. everyone has to tighten their belts for the, the sake of this one family member. And what are the chances that that family member will actually, so. yeah, like there, there's now there's only be four slots. Um, really? Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, like it's, it's likely that they might come, you know, that they'll, they just, they'll just always fall a little bit short. And then what was that all for? Um, so yeah, that, that, those were all questions that I was asking. Um, and I, I loved how we were able to uncover that mother daughter relationship. That mm -hmm. was all, that was all Lucia when I did the manuscript. <laughs> that was the, the, her, that was like a big contribution was, was, can we hear more from the moms? Um, we developed the the mother perspective after yeah, that. I thought I thought that the mother, you know, I thought the idea of having the mother daughter and having the family was, you know, she sort of represented the larger family unit. I thought it was so. I I thought it was fascinating just because of that. Because I have seen um, in just people I know where they make big family sacrifices for the sake of one person who is particularly talented at a certain sport, and. And I also think that the story, and again, I did not come away with a definitive answer, which is when is the line crossed? I mean, and I'm not talking about the Larry Nassar sexual abuse, which clearly there was a line crossed, but when is the line crossed between pushing someone to train really hard? When does that become, and when does that stop being encouragement and start being abu like abuse? Like right. I felt, I felt, um, you know, in the real world of gymnastics, I always felt that the Corollis were a little abusive to these girls, uh, but some people would just say you have to push them. Right. And then is attaining that level of excellent worthwhile in retrospect to have, you know, mm -hmm. been pushed that hard where like, would you be glad that you were pushed that hard if you got to your dream or was it, would none of it be justified? Mm -hmm. Yeah. These yeah. are very good questions that were <laughs> <laughs> asking myself the entire time. Yeah. 
And I also think for the character of Sarah, I think it's good for people to have, you know, and I see this in all different, not just in sports, in many different aspects of, of, you know, life, which is it's good to have big dreams, but when does there come a point when you have to recalibrate those, those dreams and realize it's not going to happen for you. (laughs) And I'm not giving, I'm not giving plot points away because you know, a lot of different things happen in the book, but I think for some people, they have to realize that. It's so difficult too, if you've already dumped 10 years of time commitment and investment and um, all sorts of sacrifices to then give up at that point, whether like, you know, have you already come too far? Like then mm-hmm. everything that you've done now be be um, be a loss. Yeah, in yeah. your childhood. I mean, it's, I, that's the other thing that I always strike with, with young athletes um, who are enormously successful. And, and this is in all other sports as well. They basically give up you know, maybe it's worth it, but they give up their childhood. Absolutely. And, and their teen the, years. The effect that, that it has on your, on their bodies could, um, you know, influence their, their health for their, the rest of their life, yeah. like delaying menstruation um, it affects their hormones and their bone structure and um, their growth potential. So yeah, mm-hmm. these, are, these are all consequences that will have repercussions. I know. And when I see them perform these amazing feats, I just think, gosh, like, know is it is it worth it um but yeah i mean i think i think i think the book brings that up um so very well yeah certainly a conflict because the the you know the mother figure is totally invested but the father character has his reservations and then how do you reconcile that between two married couples when they want different things for their children i know i and i sometimes wonder with some of these olympians you know you you always see like Oh gosh, I forget what they they call them, but you'd see like the backstory and everything always looks so happy. And I'm like, I bet there is a lot of friction going on in these homes. The parents in the stands and like how nervous they must feel, but how much they've already gone through to get to that spot. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot of tension there. Yeah. So um, a total aside, uh, what what do you you think of, do you think there'll be Olympics this summer? I keep, well, I keep watching because um, the, uh, our, the the book ends at the Olympics. It originally, <laughs> it originally ended at the 2020 Olympics, and we had to do that quick rewrite. Um, I know. When the pandemic uh, delayed it, so now I'm like, man, I well, I have you know mixed feelings about it, but part of part of me wants it to happen so that yeah, the ending can play out. I keep seeing the advertising for it, and I'm like, there will there should be. Olympics. Yeah, I know. It keeps going back and forth, whether they're like, well, it's probably going to be canceled and like, they will never be canceled. And then this week, was it the head of some, um, some official uh, in Mm. Japan made some like pretty sexist comments. So there was a a bunch of backlash for that. It was an Olympic official. But um, yeah, who knows? But now it it feels close, right? Like Mm -hmm. July and now we're in February and things aren't yet. I just wonder how they, how they're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I you know I would love for you also to talk a little bit about what you're working on next because we just went to contract on the next book yeah. and I think and I think it really is so fascinating. Um, you know, you could talk a little bit about it, but one thing that really struck me about the upcoming book is how women are especially it's really come clear in the pandemic that we, women are America's safety net. Mm-hmm. Like you, when this all hit women, it really fell to women to do so much, to keep their jobs, to educate their kids, to keep their house. And I used to always joke that women had a second shift. Now I feel like women have a third shift and a fourth shift. Um, 
do you think that that's, you know, so talk a little bit about the book and tell me if my impression sure. of what you're trying yeah. to talk about the book is right. Absolutely. Maybe I'm making this all up. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited about this next book. Um, so it's called Forgotten Women so far. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, about- yeah, You never know. <laughs> you never know. It's still early, we just signed. Um, but it's about a, uh, a woman in her 50s who has to return to the workforce after her husband is laid off. Um, and so she's, she's back um, in her nursing job and she's taking care of her ailing mother. And um, she discovers that her, her mother was a woman Air Force service pilot during World War II. And it's a dual timeline novel that mm-hmm. flashes back to that time um, when women were called into the workforce uh, for the first time in the 40s to replace men who had gone overseas. Um, and this particular uh, sect of women were a thousand uh, strong um, who, d- who operated all of the domestic flight duties in the United mm-hmm. States flying all sorts of military aircraft um, so that they could free up the, the men to fly um, in the Pacific and elsewhere. Um, and then they, um, so a lot of them died. They weren't given um, veterans benefits. They had to pay for their own, um, their, own, their, own their own funerals, their own way home. Um, they had been promised uh, veterans benefits, but by the end of the war, they were just dismissed and um, some offered jobs as stewardesses, but most uh, just <laughs> Or, or administrative duties in the Air Force, um, but most just returned to their households. Um, and so this character um, it never told her family about it because she was just so so bitter about um, not receiving the recognition she thought she deserved and then being cast aside when she was no longer needed. And so her daughter um, in her 50s now returning to work is going to experience a shade of that when she is called to the workforce as right. a nurse. Um, and then, you know, if her, if her husband gets a job, you know, they'll assume that it's no longer needed or no longer appreciated and she'll right. kind of reconsider all of her roles um, and, and look back at the way her mother raised her under this new uh, information of how her mom had worked. Um, so yes, it's, I think it's going to be a really, um, a really important topic and, um, some fascinating characters and I'm kind of in the heat of it now. So we'll, we'll see where, where it goes. Um, I do have one final question though, which is, um, sort of what do you hope, what do you hope readers of the happiest girl in the world will come away with after they're done with the book? Like, what do you want their takeaway to be? Or, you know, what do you, yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you hope them to, to come away with? Man, that is such a good question. Um, <laughs> and, but I probably should have thought about already. Is that a stumper? No, I, I, I hope that um, readers begin to ask themselves a lot of the questions that we had um, mm-hmm. had raised um, in this conversation. Um, I mean, usually I just, I hope that readers are feeling something throughout and, and rooting for characters and invested in the characters. Um, and then I guess come away um, looking at the, you know, at the events in a different way or... Um, or yeah, again, asking those questions that, mm-hmm. that we had raised earlier. We, we talked about. Yeah, because Sarah is, I don't want to give too much of the plot away. Sorry, I am being kind of cagey. Sarah, the, the central character is pretty complicated. Yeah. And I think maybe um, readers, I mean, readers' feelings towards her will definitely go back and forth during the course of the book, I think is a good way of saying it. Yes, like she she makes mistakes, and mm-hmm. but punishes herself from that. She feels a lot of inner conflict, too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's definitely not a flawless hero. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and I think that's what makes things so much more interesting. It's It's just, it's such a complicated, you know, it's like one of those books, I will say, like, on the surface, it seems sort of you know, on the surface, it seems straightforward. It's like young woman, Olympic dreams, how's she going to get there? 
Um, but underneath, there's so much going on. And I think that it's this multi-layered story that readers are going to really, really respond to. Yeah, there's a, a lot of way. There are no easy answers yeah. <laughs> in any of it. Um, but I think I think by the, I think that by the time I know that when I finished the book, I felt really I felt really good going on the journey with her, and I think um, I think she learned a lot of lessons, and so did I. <laughs> so I thought that's sort of how I felt when I finished the book. And again, don't want to give too much of the plot away. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Elena, thank you so much for getting so for getting up er earlyish and being here with us this morning. Um, the book is The Happiest Girl in the World. It's on sale from William Morrow on April 20th. You can get it wherever wherever books are sold. Which, yeah. You can look out for um, the, the launch. The launch There'll be a launch event on that day. Um, oh. and, yeah, and I'm teaming up with the, um, the ghostwriter for Ali uh, Raceman's memoir. Who, oh, that's right. That's yeah, so great. Yeah. Um, who, who read the book and helped me uh, with like the authenticity and making sure I was accurate with my research. Um, but yeah, that should be a really fun conversation because she's this just this Olympic expert. And how will people get to that? So um, the details are not in. finalized, but there will be like a, it'll, it'll be hosted by a bookstore and there'll be a, like the, a ticketed event, I think with, um, that comes with a signed book. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, just look out for those details. They're Can not, they go to your website? To, I will definitely have uh, it posted on my website. Okay, great. That's great. Uh, you, okay. And probably social media. So I don't and know social, if you want yeah, them to follow you if you have Sure. A... Yeah. Elena.Dillon is my Instagram handle. Um, and then Twitter is uh, the Elena Dillon <laughs> 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 because it was taken. <laughs> oh, Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. I try to stay off social media. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> but it's, it's impossible these days. I know. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, and I promise I'm really wrapping up this time. I kept I was like, in another thing. And um, everyone, please keep an eye out for the happiest girl in the world on sale April 20th. And thank you again. Yes, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.